Greetings, listeners. Welcome to Superstitions, a Spotify original from Parcast. If you're just joining us, this is the show where I bring you the truth behind popular superstitions, a task I accomplish using short stories tailored to each belief. Today's superstition illustrates how symbols can hold different meanings across cultures. What is a tacky piece of fast food advertising to an American can be an omen of misfortune for certain Japanese sports fans. We're traveling to the city of Osaka, Japan to tell the story of a curse. In Japanese, it is called Kaneru Sandasu no Noroi. Literally translated, that means the curse of Colonel Sanders, or Curse of the Colonel for short. Stick with me, this story is a strange one. We've covered baseball curses on this show before the curse of Eddie Grant, the curse of the Billy Goat. However, perhaps none of these are as odd. As the curse of the colonel. Like many sports superstitions, it is traceable back to a single event. This one in the mid 1980s. The Hanshin Tigers have always been an underdog in the world of Japanese baseball. In spite of this, or perhaps because of it, the Kansai base team has a rabid fan base. These fans were elated when, in 1985, the Tigers made it to the postseason championship series, the first time they had done this since the 1960s. The Tigers performed especially well in that season, thanks in part to their seasonal MVP, an American slugger named Randy Bass. And when the Tigers won the championship, their fans went wild. Fans thronged the streets, and in a jubilant act of celebration, a group of them jumped into the Dotombori River, one after the other. Supposedly, each fan that made this jump was a stand in for a member of the championship team. Only, the crowd could not find a lookalike for the six foot tall, bearded white man who had helped them secure victory. So they found a substitute outside a local KFC, a statue of Colonel Sanders. They lifted the 58 pound sculpture and threw it into the river. Ever since then, the Hanshin Tigers have never won a Japan series, leading some fans to believe that they were cursed, not by a witch or a goat or a bitter baseball manager. But by the mascot of Kentucky Fried Chicken. Coming up, the story of a young fan trying to change baseball history. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. 
The boy plunged into the murky, polluted water. The cold stung him to the bone. Above him, the colored lights of Osaka were like a rainbow bridge shimmering in the sky. Beneath him was the gloom. His lungs already burned, but he pressed downward. Shadowy shapes swam before him. A bicycle, a can of Whaley, and what looked like a severed hand half buried in the riverbed. He grinned. He was on the right track. He kicked harder, forcing himself deeper and deeper into the dark. His lungs burned, but he could not stop. It felt as if his entire life had been building to this desperate push to find the long-lost statue. Except, that wasn't quite true. The idea had only occurred to him earlier that day, during a particularly stressful Little League game. Minato's bat connected with the ball, sending a wave of vibrations up his arm. The young player was off at a run, only briefly checking to see where the ball had gone. Minato grinned, a line drive right past the shortstop, the last thing the other team would expect from a left-handed batter. The pitcher, a towering teen named Akira, had tried to trick him with a screwball, which made this hit all the more satisfying. He rounded first base and started towards second, just as the ball flew in a high arc from the left fielder toward the second baseman. It was going to be close. Minato pumped his arms and legs, feeling the cleats dig into the dry earth of the infield. The ball hit the second baseman's glove, and Minato dropped into a slide, right foot out towards the base. The second baseman's mitt slammed down on Minato's ankle, but it was too late. The boy was safe. He was sure of it. All players looked toward the umpire, only to realize that the adults weren't paying attention to the game at all. Their coach, Toshio, was jogging across the field, a sour look on his face. He stopped at the pitcher's mound and jerked a thumb over his shoulder. Minato, out! Munato was about to protest, saying that he was absolutely safe, only for the coach to roll his eyes. I don't mean you're out. I mean, you're off my team. Minato protested. You must be kidding, coach. Toshio leveled his gaze at the young player. It was only then that Minato noticed a file folder in the coach's hands. His mouth went dry. He knew what was in that folder. Toshio said in a lowered voice, You don't want to make a scene, do you, Michiko? Minato clenched his jaw. Michiko. He had been running from that name for the entire season, but it had finally caught up with him. Suddenly, the base he was planted on felt far from safe. Minato sat across the desk from his coach, picking at the dirt stains on his knees. Toshio spoke on the phone, eyes on the wall. Minato tried not to hear Toshio's half of the conversation, but at a point it was unavoidable. He said, I have a little girl here who was pretending to be a boy. Each word stung more than the last. Little girl, pretending to be a boy. 
Minato wanted to shout at Toshio, but he kept silent. Like a good ball player, he wouldn't lose his head. He'd see where the ball was going and then play as best he could. Falling in love with baseball was one of Minato's earliest memories. His father had been a die-hard Tigers fan almost as long as the team had existed. In the fall of 1985, he'd taken Minato with him to the championship series. He'd dressed Minato, who he called Michiko, in a child-sized baseball uniform. And for the first time, Minato felt comfortable in his own clothes. Seeing those players on the field, it filled him with a longing he'd never felt before. After the events of that evening, after the crowd pitched a statue of Colonel Sanders into the river, fans of the Tigers looked back on that night as a bittersweet one. But not Minato. Even as he grew into his teens and watched the Tigers lose game after game after game, all because of a curse supposedly laid on them by Colonel Sanders, even then, he remembered the night fondly for showing him who he was meant to be. And after his father passed away, Minato saw no reason to pretend to be Michiko anymore. That is, until his birth certificate caught up with him halfway down the second baseline. Toshio lowered the phone and looked at Minato. His voice didn't betray any emotion. Your great aunt is here to pick you up. Minato's stomach squirmed. Unwillingly, he stood and allowed Toshio to guide him to the door. At the entrance, they paused. The coach said, It's a real shame. You were one of our best players. Minato's great-aunt Sakura was a short woman, her eyes magnified by glasses thick as bulletproof glass. But still, standing in the park by her car, she cut an imposing figure. Minato bowed his head as Toshio dropped him off by the old woman. What do you have to say for yourself? Minato stayed silent. He knew what was coming next. His great-aunt was going to be furious. She was a traditional woman, one who put more stock in her Shinto beliefs than anything real. The last thing Minato needed was a lecture on proper gender roles from a woman who thought that kami spirits were real. He wondered idly how much the other players had understood Toshio's words on the field. Akira would probably be delighted to hear Minato was so humiliated. The pitcher was a no-good bully. It didn't seem fair that he could play, but Minato couldn't. You're not listening to me, Michiko. Minato looked up at his great-aunt. She prompted, Well, this is ludicrous, even by your standards, to run away to join a baseball team. Minato muttered under his breath. Dad would understand. He didn't have his head in the clouds all the time. Sakura's expression hardened. Get in the car. Now! As Sakura slid into the driver's seat, Minato heard a tapping from nearby. He turned to see someone crouched behind the car. It was his teammate, Junji. His catcher's outfit made him look like a black beetle lurking by the wheel. Minato blinked. What are you doing there? Coach thinks I'm in the bathroom. 
I was worried you were in trouble. Minato sighed. <sighs> they were right. Help me out? Junji asked where they were going. Minato's answer was simple. On the run. The two players slipped away from the parking lot and grabbed Junji's bike. They piled on. First Junji, then Minato. Then they were off. The catcher pedaling as hard as he could away from the park and towards downtown Osaka. Junji didn't speak until their first rest break, almost an hour later. So, what are you running from? Minato almost laughed. The answer was too complex to even think about, so he said, My great aunt, she wouldn't understand why I'm the way I am. Just like coach, I guess. Sounds rough. She's a bit of a kusobaba, huh? She's just never present. At least my dad and I had baseball in common, but her, she's always been more interested in spirits than her own family. Junji was quiet for a moment. Then he said, Have you considered that the two may not be so far apart? Junji continued, My sofu used to say, that spirits can manifest themselves in unlikely places. He had a lucky cigarette that he carried in his pocket throughout the war, one he'd found on a dead American soldier. Did that cigarette actually keep him from getting shot in the Pacific? Who knows? But he swore until his dying breath that there was a little smoke cummy in that cigarette, keeping him safe. A flicker of an idea lit in Minato's mind. Colonel Sanders, he muttered. Junji cocked his head. Did you say something? The curse of the colonel. I was there the night it happened, you know. The tigers going wild by the Dotombori. My dad pulled me away from the crowd, but I heard the splash as the folks were jumping into the river. Do you think that was a kami that kept the tigers from winning all these years? Junji replied, I mean, if there can be spirits of rocks and stones and mountains... Who's to say that a statue of a kaijin can't have a kami of its own? Minato laughed. A thought had just occurred to him. A wild, crazy thought. No, it was beyond wild, far beyond crazy, and yet they were in Osaka, only a short ride from the stadium where it had all happened. Junji looked at Minato, an eyebrow raised. What's up? Minato slowed his bike to a stop. Listen, Junji, I don't need you to understand everything I'm going through, but right now, I have three choices. I either give myself up to my aunt, or I leave the city and try to go somewhere where no one knows me. Junji's eyes widened. He understood the severity of what Minato was saying. He prompted, And the third? Minato grinned. That's where I need your help. The third option is I do something crazy enough that Toshio has to keep me on the team, no matter what he thinks about me. Junji was intrigued, but seemed skeptical. He said that he didn't think there was anything Minato could do to get Toshio to overlook the rules. Minato shook his head. That's where you're wrong. What if we rescue that Colonel Sanders statue from the bottom of the river? Toshio would overlook the regulations for a couple of baseball heroes, surely. He clapped Junji on the back. 
The catcher didn't seem convinced. You know, people have died trying that, right? Minato had heard the rumors, but part of him didn't care. He had spent so much time shedding the identity society had built for him. The prospect of success or death was refreshingly straightforward. Doesn't matter. We're going to get the statue. Coming up, Minato finds out that some curses are impossible to break. They're role models, nurturers, and to many, the ultimate best friend. But what happens when Mommy Dearest has a dark side, one that's more criminal than caring? Find out in the Spotify original from Parcast, Malicious Moms. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson, host of Malicious Moms. Every Sunday on Spotify, join me for a closer look at the moms who took their maternal instincts to illegal extremes. A beloved actress who would do anything for her child. A jilted ex who used her kids to take deadly revenge. Plus, a wife, a mistress, and an altercation with an axe you have to hear to believe. In this ParCast collection, learn the dire lengths some women went to help their children and how others used motherhood to carry out their misdeeds. Sometimes true crime can be a real mother. Follow Malicious Moms free and only on Spotify. Now, back to the story. The Dotombori River surged beneath the two teenage baseball players. One of them, Minato, had a rope tied around his waist. The other, Junji, covertly secured the line to the railing. Minato's plan was a wild one. First, Junji would lower him into the river. Then he would find the long-lost Colonel Sanders statue and haul it back up. He'd always been a strong swimmer in spite of his great-aunt's protestations. Looking over at the filthy river water, he found himself surprisingly calm. Perhaps this is because Junji was doing enough worrying for the both of them. He knotted and double-knotted both ends of the rope. The last thing we need is you losing the rope, he whispered, wary of passing tourists. Minato put a steadying hand on Junji's padded shoulder. He nodded to his friend. It was time. Oh, look, the two lovers having a romantic moment. Minato whirled around. At the end of the bridge was Akira, the pitcher he'd humiliated on the field earlier that day. Flanking him were a line of sneering cronies. Akira stepped forward, cracking his knuckles. Rumor is your coach is looking for you, has some opinions about a girl playing on his team. Junji stepped between them. He puffed out his chest valiantly. Amazing he kept you on then, he said. Akira shoved Junji hard. The boy fell backwards, catcher pads narrowly preventing him from scraping his hands badly. Minato, go, he shouted. You've got this. Minato didn't have time to think. Bullies were closing in on either end of the bridge, 12 of them. The only way out was down. He took a step up onto the rail and jumped. Minato plunged into the murky, polluted water. The cold stung him to the bone. 
Above him, the colored lights of Osaka were like a rainbow bridge shimmering in the sky. Beneath him was the gloom. His lungs already burned, but he pressed downward. Shadowy shapes swam before him. A bicycle, a can of Weili, and what looked like a severed hand, half buried in the riverbed. He grinned. He was on the right track. He kicked harder, forcing himself deeper and deeper into the dark. His lungs burned, but he could not stop. Not until he found the statue. Suddenly, a violent tug came from his waist. It was the safety rope, drawing him back toward the surface. He pulled at the knot on his hip. No doubt the bullies were trying to drag him back onto the bridge. The knot wasn't coming undone. He could feel the rope squeezing air from his lungs as the surface drew closer and closer. For just a moment, Minato broke the surface, long enough to see Akira glaring down at him from the bridge, holding fast to his rope. From the angle, he couldn't see if Junji was all right. He had to trust that the catcher could take care of himself. Minato narrowed his eyes at Akira. He wasn't letting this bully stop him. He abandoned the knot and tugged hard on the rope, trying to wrench it from Akira's grip. Akira clearly didn't anticipate the move. The tug pulled the bully forward and over the side of the bridge. He hit the water next to Minato and floundered, sputtering. Not waiting for the other boy to reorient himself, Minato took a deep breath and went under again. Minato swam deeper, pressure building on all sides. The rope no longer pulled on him, but swirled around him like a supersized ramen noodle. He fought free, only for a current of water to send him careening down the river. Where was it? Where was the hand? It was dark, so dark. His lungs ached, and bit by bit he released bubbles from his mouth to relieve the pressure. He was running out of time. A hand closed over his ankle. It was cold and felt like coral. In shock, he screamed. All the air left his lungs. He inhaled a mouthful of water and choked. As his vision darkened, he heard a strange voice in his ears. It sounded like an American. I know why you're here. Minato's eyes opened and he coughed up some truly rank river water. For a moment, he thought he was back on the streets of Osaka. But when he looked up, he realized he was on the riverbed. Only, he was breathing. He blinked and took in his surroundings. It seemed like the current had pulled back from him, creating a domed bubble of air deep beneath the waves. He could see the streetlights of Osaka glitter above. Debris floated past on all sides. I must be dreaming, he thought. In front of him, in this impossible underwater sanctuary, there stood a statue. It was worn and mottled, but the moustache and goatee were unmistakable, as was the cane that hung from his left arm. Koneru Sandasu, Colonel Sanders. Minato rose to his feet and approached the statue. He was unmoving, pudgy cheeks frozen in a welcoming grin, as if he was surrounded by heaps and heaps of fried chicken, 
rather than refuse and river scum. Hello? Minato felt ridiculous speaking to a statue, but he was sure that something had created this strange bubble. The statue, predictably, did not respond. Minato shook himself and ran towards it. He untied the rope from his waist and started wrapping it around the statue. Thanks to whatever magic kept the water at bay, rescuing Colonel Sanders finally felt possible. Minato whipped around at a sudden noise. There, emerging from the wall of water, stumbling into the bubble, was Akira. His hair was wet and filthy, and his fists clenched at his sides. He snarled at him. You're going to pay, little girl. Minato backed away warily. It was a game, man. Why did you take it so personally? Akira's eyes blazed. It's not about the game. It's about you. The arrogance of you, thinking you belonged on the field with us. Akira reached down and picked up a rock from the riverbed. He flung it at Minato like a fastball. Minato ducked behind the statue and heard a crack as it glanced off the chest of Colonel Sanders. He grabbed a stone of his own and flung it at his opponent. A curveball, or as close to one as he could do with a rock. The rock whizzed past Akira's shoulder and disappeared into the wall of water behind him. Akira was fumbling on the ground for another projectile when Minato saw it. A baseball, lying not three feet from his left foot. It was moldy and worn, and probably as old as the Colonel Sanders statue, but he didn't care. He picked it up and adjusted his grip on the seams. He raised his arm over his head and paused. Akira was in the same position, another rock in his hand. They were both moments away from throwing. Minato spoke slowly. Akira, look at where we are. This isn't normal. Akira laughed. <laughs> Damn right it isn't normal. A girl trying to outpitch me. Minato rolled his eyes, but kept his voice steady. Look around you. This is where the curse of Colonel Sanders began. We could change the course of baseball history. Akira didn't say anything. His fingers shifted, and he heaved the rock at Minato. Minato flung his pitch in return. Akira's rock scraped across his cheek, drawing blood. A red, hot wave of pain followed, but he did not turn away. He saw his ball arc in a perfect screwball movement and connect with Akira's forehead. The boy fell backward and burst through the wall of water. Then, as if he popped the invisible barrier, the river surged inward, swallowing Minato and the Colonel Sanders statue. Once again, Minato was left flailing in the dark, but this time he was not disoriented. Something held him in place between the raging currents. As he marveled at this, a mask appeared before his eyes. It was like a no-theatrical mask, only fashioned with a goatee and glasses and round, friendly cheeks. The face of Colonel Sanders, but not. A voice sounded in Minato's head. 
Hello, Minato. Do you know who I am? Minato did not dare speak aloud for fear of swallowing more river water. He thought, the Kami of Colonel Sanders? A humming laugh filled the air around him. The mask said, <laughs> Yes and no. I am the Dotombori River. I am the statue. I am everything in between. To be a Kami is to be ever-changing. But why are you speaking to me? Because, like you, I am invisible. When people look at me, they do not see me for what I am. They see a facade, the face of a gaijin, and a tacky one at that. Minato reached out towards the mask. He said, with building disappointment, You're not going to let me bring you to the surface, are you? The mask tilted to one side. It is not your fate. Minato thought about how this foolish plan was all for nothing. His fight with Akira, Junji's putting himself in danger. He almost wanted to punch the spirit until it spoke again. I know what you wish for. I cannot grant it. All I can give you is a piece of wisdom. You want to be yourself without shame. It seems to me that you have everything you need for that task. With that, the river released Minato, and he found himself floundering back on the streets of Osaka. Junji came running up. He was bruised and scarred, but clearly intact. Are you okay? He asked. We thought you and Akira had drowned, then the river spat you both up, literally. Minato looked up. Where are Akira's thugs? At this, Junji smiled proudly. We chased those Hakuza off. We? Minato looked around. Junji was not alone. He was surrounded by other boys. Tokuo, Ichiro, Yoshi. Minato's entire team had come to their aid. Minato grinned, blinking back tears. He'd assumed he'd never see any of them again. He stood, wiping his face. You're the best team a guy could hope for. The others all grinned and high-fived as if they'd won the Japan series themselves. After this joyous moment, Minato sighed. And then he laughed. And he kept laughing, even as his teammates looked on in confusion. Minato's great aunt caught up to him before too long. By the time she arrived, Minato was finally starting to dry off, though his teammates were still by his side. Great aunt Sakura embraced Minato, immediately dabbing a sleeve on his cut cheek. And when the other players turned away, embarrassed, she said, Look, I know you think my beliefs are silly, but you can always come to me if something is wrong. Minato gave a half-smile. Trust works both ways, but maybe I don't find the idea of Kami as ridiculous as I used to.
Minato went off with his great-aunt, telling her as much as he dared about his evening's adventures. She listened in awe, never challenging or questioning his version of events. She even started to call him by the name Minato. If the name was good enough for a mighty kami to use, it was good enough for her too. It was a small step, but maybe it was the beginning of understanding between them. His team would not forget him, and he would never forget the spirit that showed him what really mattered. Various attempts were made to rescue the Colonel Sanders statue from Dotombori River, and most were unsuccessful. At least one fan is said to have drowned in 2003, and as these attempts continued, the Tigers continued to lose and lose and lose. During this long, dry spell, Osaka fans remained just as rapidly supportive of their home team, and many local KFC outlets moved their Colonel Sanders statues inside their stores to protect them from Tigers fans. Finally, on March 10, 2009, the original statue's torso was found by divers working on construction by the river. The next day, to the delight of the local media, they found the legs as well. The refurbished Colonel Sanders was reportedly relocated to a KFC outside Koshien Stadium. It seemed to Tigers fans that the curse had finally broken. But for two small details. For one, the statue remains incomplete. It is missing its glasses and its left hand. And for two, the Hanshin Tigers have yet to win another Japan series. Either the Hanshin Tigers are just unlucky, or Colonel Sanders really likes to hold a grudge. Thanks again for listening to Superstitions. You can find more episodes of Superstitions and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Until next time, be wary of the things you cannot explain. Superstitions is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Kerry Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Superstitions was written by Robert Teamstra, with writing assistance by Stacey Lee Nemec and Greg Castro, fact-checking by Anya Bailey, and research by Brian Petrus. I'm Alastair Murden. For many, Sunday is a special day spent with family. That makes it the perfect time to check out the Spotify original from Parcast, Malicious Moms. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson. Every Sunday in this Parcast collection, join me for an intimate look at the matriarchs who were far more criminal than caring. Warning, this isn't your mother's podcast. Follow Malicious Moms free and only on Spotify. Spotify.